from Paul's second letter to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Today we're continuing in our uh, mini-series in 2 Timothy, and we're taking a look at Paul's last uh, pastoral letter to his protege. And it's fascinating, it's really fascinating to me that even some of Paul's personal letters were inspired by the Holy Spirit as Scripture, and we're reading them today. Right? I mean, I know we don't do pastoral letters too much anymore, so imagine somebody's kind of scouring your iPhone looking at your text chain, right, to see what, what the Holy Spirit might have spoken, or if you're a Twitter user, you know, reading your, your Twitter thread to see what profundities God has given you to speak, uh, which I think most Twitter users imagine is exactly what's happening. Um, but, but the reality is um, the Holy Spirit did inspire these letters, these personal and private letters from Paul to Timothy. And while they weren't written uh, to us, they were written for us. They were written for us to, to glean His wisdom. They were written for us to uh, glean uh, the gospel and, and how we are to live. And so, there are three basic things I want to cover today, three main charges in this letter of hope that Paul gives to Timothy. This is what Paul uh, charges uh, Timothy with. He charges Timothy to maintain, you ready? It's a three-pointer, all right? I, I think I've got the point thing down. So, three-pointer. Point one, he charges Timothy to maintain the focus of a soldier. Focus of a soldier. Point two, he charges Timothy to maintain the integrity of an athlete, which in today's day, uh, NBA day sounds funny, but back then, right? The integrity of an athlete. And then point three, he charges Timothy to maintain the persistence of a farmer. You all with me on that? So again, focus of a soldier, integrity of an athlete, and persistence of a farmer. So let's look at his first charge. I'm going to uh, maintain the focus of a soldier. We're going back to the text at verse 2 of 2 Timothy uh, 1 through 7. What you have heard from me, and this is Timothy's charge, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The charge that Paul gives Timothy is, is nothing less than the transmission of the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ that has been given to him. That is his mission. That is his primary objective. Now, remember, Timothy is a priest that leads a church community, right? And as you, know, you all know, we as priests have the benefit of only working one day a week, right? That's all we do. We, we do about 20 minutes of sermon prep, then we get up here on Sunday, and then we schedule golf for the rest of the week, and then we're back, right? So you would think that a priest would be really focused on the one thing that he's been entrusted to do, right? Well, wait a minute. That's not how life works, is it? Right? right? Even, even in, in the priesthood, we have, uh, and I'm going to read it because it's an extensive list. We've got, you know, home and hospital visitations that we do. We coordinate with community outreach programs. We have event plannings. We've got budget management, staff management, uh, communications, running church ministry programs, not to mention that Timothy is overseeing leadership, training, and church planting initiatives, right? There's a whole lot of things on his plate, just like there's a whole lot of things on your plate as a minister of the gospel, it's not that simple, is it? So Paul's reminding Timothy, keep the main thing the main thing. You know, there was a priest 
And this is a true story because I didn't say once upon a time. So there was a priest, this is a true story, there was a priest who was called to a, a church, and he was called to bring leadership and vision and to help them with structure. And so the priest, you know, accepted the call and, and went into this church, and, but, but he really was interested in, he had a love for creating binders of policies and procedures, Right? I mean, because this church needed structure and they needed, you know, they needed, uh, they were kind of a mess. And so he dove in and he was really excited about it and started making all these uh, policies and procedure manuals. Now, that sounds mind numbingly, painfully boring to someone like me, but there are some among you who you're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. They need to be organized. Um, the problem was this priest found a policy and procedure from everything, and he had binders and binders full. And again, it's not that policy procedures are bad things, they're necessary things, but this is what his entire aim was. And I'm sure he had policies from, you know, what to do in the event of a hurricane, you know, check on your shut-ins, see what's going on, to what to do in the event that a rabid mongoose infiltrates a DOK meeting without filling out a membership form, right? I mean, you had a, a policy and procedure for everything. So after two years of all of this work, guess what happened to him? He was fired. Why was he fired? He didn't keep the main thing the main thing. He got so wrapped up in these, these, these side initiatives that he was taking on that he forgot that preaching and transmitting the gospel is absolutely the main thing. And so instead of preaching the gospel, he was busy making sandcastles at low tide. And guess what? The next priest discarded all of those anyway because they weren't his style of leadership, right? So again, this can happen to any of us to not keep the main thing the main thing. Look with me again at verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, the sum total of my personal military experience is watching the Band of Brothers twice, right? I mean, that's my limit. But I did speak to some veterans uh, during this week to, to, you know, to get some insight into what Paul's talking about, about the soldier. And, and, and a, a friend of mine said, you know, one of the things that the military instills in soldiers is a sense of purpose, he said, you know, a lot of people who, you know, when they leave the military and go back to civilian life, they can get lost and, and feel like despondent because they, they lost their sense of purpose. They, they, they lose their focus and their aim and their objective. And, you know, I thought that's a really good point. What are we doing as the church to, to keep us focused on our single objective, on our single purpose, on the fact that we have a primary call to live focused lives? right? And, and our call is one that's eternal, right? Our call, you know, kingdoms rise and fall, empires rise and fall, but our kingdom, the kingdom of God, will always remain. So what are we doing to instill, to keep in front of us our primary objective, our primary mission? You see, part of the universal human condition, as you can all attest to, is the need for purpose. Everyone, every culture has a need for purpose. And even more than that, there's a universal crushing sense that we need to accomplish something of significance to justify our own existence. Let me say that again. We all have this crushing sense that we need to accomplish something of significance to justify our own existence. And that's one of the reasons that it's so incredibly important to preach the gospel message, because in the gospel message, you don't have to spend all of your life trying to justify your existence. It has been justified by God. You don't have to spend your entire life trying to find meaning and significance on this earth, because guess what? You were significant enough for Jesus Christ to die for. How much more significant can you get? 
And if you lose the gospel message and the power that's in the gospel message, you end up with a bunch of people running around with anxiety and depressive disorders, not because of chemical functioning, which certainly happens, but because they don't have, they have a nihilistic worldview. They don't know what to do with the life that's been given to them. And if you don't believe me, look at the stats of our poor young people. You know, when we, when we remove the gospel message from our culture, from we remove the gospel message from, uh, and, and it's not just the, the, the priest's responsibility, right? This is all of us. When we remove that in the way that we're instructing young ones, it's like a really bad Jenga player. You ever play with a really bad Jenga player who always goes for that foundational block at the bottom and the whole tower collapses? You know what I'm talking about? That's what happens when we aren't faithfully focused on transmitting the gospel message. And the key, and this is the key, Timothy was to focus on transmitting the gospel message as it was handed down to him. Now, that's, that's, an, that's an important nuance, as it was handed down to him, as it was entrusted to him. Part of our role is to be custodians and stewards and guardians of the gospel message that has been handed to us without additions, without subtractions, and without distortions. There was a, an article, and it was, it was it's, this is also true, bizarrely enough, but there's a seminary, um, Union, Union Theological Seminary. Is anybody familiar with this place? Um, recently, what, uh, what they did, and this is, again, we're talking about gospel distortions, what they decided to do during one of their chapel, chapel sessions is they, they went around and they gathered a bunch of potted plants in their chapel, you know, it's a sacred space, you, presumably, and they put them all in the middle of the room, like a whole bunch of potted plants in the middle of the room in their chapel session. And then what the students did is one by one, they would go up and sit cross-legged and pray to the plants. They would pray to the plants. Now, they felt guilty about, uh, you know, what's happening with our environment. And, and again, I, I, I am, you know, pro-environment. We, we are called to be stewards of God's creation. That was our first role that was given to us in Genesis, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm for that but they were praying to plants. Now tell me, do you, think the, do you think the plants provided absolution? What do you think? Do you think, do you think that the, the plants, uh, you know, provided or offered atonement to them? Do you think that they uh, interceded with them for God? They're like, hey, you know what, we accept your apology. I'm going to go talk to God, and we'll sort this thing out, and you'll be okay. Do you think that's what happened? I mean, what if the plants rejected their apology? Would they even know, Right? How could you tell? I mean, do the plants have the power to offer eternal life? Do the plants have the power to meet the deepest needs of your soul? I don't, I don't think they do. But this is what happens when the gospel message becomes completely untethered from scriptural truth and the faith that has been handed down to us from our fathers. You see, that's a bizarre example, right? But, but there are always people in the church, many with good intentions, who want to make the gospel more appealing, who want to make the gospel more relevant, who want to make the gospel easier for people to accept, and so they just tweak it a little bit. Here's a couple examples. One, um, there are those who, who, who think that it sounds mean to call people, to admit that people are sinners. That sounds kind of harsh or who think it's really mean or judgmental to say that people without God's grace aren't good enough to stand in the presence of God, which is what the Bible says. And so, so they say, well, let's keep this idea that God is, you know, 
loves you and cares for you and wants to bring you to heaven, but let's, let's, let's get rid of all speak about sin or hell or, or anything that might sound hurtful or hurt people's feelings. The problem is, and how this distorts the gospel, the, the result of this is, if you take away this idea of sin and hell, people start wondering why they need Jesus at all. Well, I must be pretty good then. I guess I don't need repentance. I guess I don't need Jesus Christ. I seem to be doing pretty well on my own. That's what everybody says about me. Do you see how changing just a little bit of the gospel can actually drive people away from God and not towards Him? And this is, I mean, this hits close to home. There are churches in our own community who, who this is a core tenet of their preaching and thinking. This is a big issue for us. Or there's also people who, who distort the gospel and they try to make it about religious therapy, right? The gospel is only useful to you so long as it makes you feel happy. Are you, you familiar with this type of thinking? Well, guess what? Jesus didn't die primarily to make us happy. He died to make us holy. And if you believe that Jesus died primarily to make you happy and that God's whole role, His whole reason for being in your life is to make you happy, then when you're not happy, when things go terribly wrong and you're suffering, you will imagine that God has abandoned you. I have seen this time and time again. But if you know that life is suffering and hard and that Jesus' life was suffering and it was difficult, but God meets you in those moments and he uses those moments to work on your heart and tra to transform you into something greater, then when those moments happen, you'll be able to cleave yourself to him and walk side by side with him through those dark moments. Do you see how a small tweak in the gospel message can drive people away from God? You all on the same page with this? Yeah, absolutely. That's why our job is to transmit the message, but to transmit it as it was given to us. Look back at the, the uh, Look back with me at verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It can be really tempting to want to, pre to present the gospel in a way that won't hurt feelings, that is only encouraging and only makes people feel good, but then it's not the gospel. And our job is to compete with integrity. Right? All right, let's continue. This brings us to our third point, because if we're going to preach the gospel as it has been handed down to us, it's an incredibly enormous and difficult task. I mean, we, you know, we deal with a society right now that's kind of inoculated against the gospel, right? They've heard it. They roll their eyes to it. They, they, they don't see why they have this need for God. And so for us as, as Christians in this day and age, it can be an incredibly difficult task, and we might not see the fruits right away, which is why, um, and even in that day and age, why Paul tells Timothy to maintain the persistence of a farmer. I think one of the things that we forget in our modern era of Christianity is that Christianity used to come with a warning label. Did you know that? It used to come with a warning label. If you read the gospel, uh, when, people, you know, when people are saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, Jesus is like, okay, but you know, the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. You know, like life's going to be difficult if you follow me. You remember the, the rich young ruler who followed Jesus, and Jesus is like, okay, you've got to sell all your possessions, though, and, and give them away, and then you can follow me. It came with a warning label, right? Because, because what the gospel message is, is it, it's, it's something that you, you are dying to yourself to be reborn in God. It's not sprinkling a little bit of Jesus onto your life and trying to make it a little better, right? It's a whole life change. And, and what, what the ancient church used to do, and they used to do this really well, and, and we, we preserve this in our tradition, is if somebody's going to get baptized, we don't just invite everybody who, who feels the Spirit move to come up and jump in a pool. 
What we do is we say, you want to be baptized, we're going to make absolutely certain that you know that you are giving your life, you are giving your life to God. That this is a total commitment. That, that he is your Lord and he is your master and this will change things for you. It used to come with a warning label and we try to maintain that because it's an incredibly difficult thing. And the Christian life is day in, day out persistence. I mean, yes, you will re- receive eternal salvation in God's, enjoying God's presence. And yes, you will, if you are following the gospel, you will avoid many pitfalls in your life that come from the result of sin right? Because you'll see what people do, and you're like, I'm not going to do that thing, and so you'll avoid shipwrecking your life. Like, that's a good, there are benefits, obviously, that come with the gospel, but it is a lifelong commitment, and sharing the gospel is really tough. Living and sharing the gospel is tough. You know, we have two women's Bible studies that are happening right now, and um, uh, I was speaking to um, one of the ladies who attends one of those Bible studies this past week, and she said, you know, this Bible study is really tough, She's like, you know, I'm going, I'm going to, and as I study this, it's like, you know, these are all the things I'm doing wrong. It's like, I don't, I don't feel like a really good Christian when I'm studying the Bible because I'm not doing all of these things. You know, it's like, yeah, the pursuit of holiness is super difficult. It is super difficult. Have you, all, have you ever found a character flaw that you have and tried to do the hard work of reforming that by the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit? Have you ever done that? It is brutal work. But that's why we invite God into this process, and that's also why Christianity is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, when Paul talks about how we change, how personal transformation happens, he uses this phrase. He says, we beholding His glory, we with unveiled faces beholding God's glory are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. One degree. You ever use a protractor? You remember those in school? Protractors, a degree? Not a huge shift, is it, when you move one degree? But if you trace that line out, 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, that one degree shift becomes an enormous change, doesn't it? That's the Christian walk. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We have the persistence of farmers. You know, there's one other thing about farmers that's so interesting. Farming, more than any other profession, a farmer is entirely dependent upon God. Right? And again, I'm especially talking about ancient farmers. I'm not sure about farming today. That's, again, outside my area of expertise. But, but a, farm, a farmer's profession is entirely more so than any other dependent upon God because a farmer, especially an ancient farmer, has no control over the weather, has no control over pests, has no control over, you know, their crops getting diseased, right? It's difficult. But a farmer's job is to do what has been entrusted to him and leave God with the result. And so a farmer is supposed to get up every single day and work to the bone, tilling the field and, and planting the crops and harvesting the crops, right? I mean, that's, that's the farmer's job. And so we as Christians, you know, I, I feel like sometimes when it comes to sharing the gospel we either or working on our personal holiness, we kind of phone out. You ever do that? It's like, God, you know, I've got an issue. I'm being angry again, or I'm lying again, so can you just, I'm going to pray, and can you just take care of this for me while I sit here and, you know, just kind of live my life? You ever do that? I have. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, right? It's like, you know, I mean, that'd be like the farmer being on the couch and being like, God, you know, I know that I have to farm this field, but I'm really comfortable. Can you go till the back 20 for me and, and take care of that? I really appreciate that. That's not the Christian life. We're called to be we're called to persist as farmers, you know, and this is especially true for the transmission of the gospel. I've got two young ones, as you all know. I pretty much bring them up in every sermon because I'm a young dad, so deal with it. Um, 
because I love my kids. But, but one, of the things, you know, one of the things that we try to do with our kids, and we're certainly not perfect about it, is we try to pray with them. You know, we, we try to read them stories and tell them stories about Jesus. We try to instill the gospel message into them at an early age. Now, you know, it's going to take a long time for that to take root. And, and that's if it takes root at all, right? You all, many of you have had uh, adult children, and, and you know that, you know, you can raise them in the Christian life, but ultimately, like, you know, our job is to plant the seeds and water them, but God gives the growth, right? There, there are things that are outside of our control, but it doesn't mean it's any less our job to transmit the gospel message. If you have tried to evangelize, if you have tried to share Jesus Christ with somebody before and it didn't take, that doesn't mean obviously this isn't going to work out, right? That's not what you do. What you do is you go back again and you say, God, let me keep tilling the soil. Let me keep planting the seed of your word into it and pray that God gives the growth. And he does. I want to close with this. At this point in Paul's life, he's in prison for the second time and last time, right? He doesn't get out of this one alive. And this is what Paul's situation is. First of all, Paul has been shipwrecked twice. He's been bitten by a snake, which is insult to injury after getting shipwrecked. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's five times he's been beaten with rods. He's already been imprisoned before. This man has not had an easy life, and it's all in service to God. Have you ever had those moments where you're like, God, I'm trying to live life as a Christian, but this seems really tough? Paul's, Paul's right there with you, right? Paul's had an incredibly difficult life. And at this point, in his last letter to Timothy, he's writing that he's been abandoned by his friends. The churches, by the way, are a complete mess that he went to plant, right? You ever read First and Second Corinthians? That church is a mess, right? Galatians is a false gospel that's going around Galatians. Um, you know, there are, there are false teachers that are coming in and trying to supplant what he did and undo the work that Paul did, and he's, you know, he's lonely and he's cold and he's in prison. And you could imagine Paul looking around and saying, you know, all of my life's work, all of my effort, all of my sacrifices, like, what is going to happen with this? What's going to happen with, with, with the entire thing, you know, this entire endeavor that I've poured my life into? But then he speaks in verse 8 of our text and he tells, he tells Timothy, remember Jesus Christ as preached in my gospel for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. It's unbelievable to me that we are here reading a personal letter from one man to another 2,000 years ago and studying and, and getting enriched by the Holy Spirit that worked in that man. It's incredible to me the amount of Christians that we have on the planet at this time in, every, in, in very nearly every nation and every tongue. You know, it's, it's our job to maintain our focus of a soldier and, and be laser-focused on our purpose and reason for being. It's our job to, to do so with integrity and keep the, mess, the, the gospel message pure as it has been handed down to us. And it is our God to get out there day in and day out with the endurance of a farmer, knowing that God is going to give growth. And we can trust him in that. So if I can encourage you in, in, your, in your days and weeks to come as you think about how you're scheduling your life around our primary purpose and primary goal, trust in God and mind, mind strength from His grace. And every shortcoming that you have in God's kingdom, He's got that covered. So let's pray to the God who watches over us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this incredible mission that You've called us into, the fact that You make us participants in the greatest work this world has ever known. 
I pray that you would clear aside all distractions. Let us not get entangled in lesser things. God, I pray that you would God, I pray that you would give us the strength and courage to preach the gospel as it has been handed down to us, that we would treat it as the precious and holy message that it is. And God, I pray that each day, day in and day out, you would give us the strength and endurance by the power of your Holy Spirit to spread this message to everyone that you put in our path. In your son's name we pray, amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.